So Money episode 834, Johnny Harris, filmmaker and journalist, creator of the Vox series, Borders. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Impetuous is like the best way to put it. We, we were just kind of reckless kids who like were, didn't really know what we we're getting ourselves into. But it kind of goes into a broader philosophy that, that kickstarted this whole thing for me, which was taking risks and then making those risks fuel your desire to, to fulfill. And, and so we graduated, we moved to DC. I didn't have a job lined up and I just knew that I had to figure something out because there was no other option. I had a child and a wife who was recovering from birth and there was that sense of urgency because I'd gotten myself into a position where not doing anything or not having success wasn't really an option. I had to, f- to figure something out. Imagine the week you're graduating from college is the week that you become a parent. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. You just listened to Johnny Harris, who is a filmmaker and journalist and known for his super famous Vox series, Borders. He and his wife, Lizzie, gave birth to their first child around the time they were graduating from college. They graduated with about $1,300 in the bank, moved to Washington, D.C. to pursue their careers. And well, the rest you'll learn on this episode. It worked out. Johnny today, currently still based in Washington, D.C., where he makes web videos for Vox.com. He reports on interesting trends and stories, both domestically and around the world. His visual style blends motion graphics with cinematic videography to create content that explains complex issues in relatable ways. He has a BA in international relations from Brigham Young University and a master's in international peace and conflict resolution from American University. He brings all of that background as well as his filmmaking skills and journalism skills to his new series called Borders, which follows Johnny to 11 countries, from the North Pole to the northern shore of Africa to the Himalayas of Nepal. Johnny travels to these borders to tell their origin story, the human stories behind the lines on a map. Johnny shares candidly the beginnings of his career, how that $1,300 made do, the mistakes he made, the jobs he held, and where he's headed next. Here we go. Here's Johnny Harris. Johnny Harris, welcome to So Money. Great to be here. It's super uh, great to be chatting about this stuff. I love, I love talking about it. Uh, well, that's good. That's a good uh, prerequisite for guests. You know, if you, if you like talking about money, you'll probably have a good time on this show. But you also come to this uh, to this interview with so much more to offer in terms of your career, your your docu series on Vox, how you got the job, uh, the current um, the current projects you're working on. And I will just start by saying that Johnny, your your videos are better than coffee. 
Um, <laughs> I say this because, and that's saying a lot coming from a mother of two under the age of five. Yeah. Wow. And, um, just to give listeners a sense of what I mean and Johnny a sense of what I mean is that, you know, I, I woke up this morning. I was excited to interview you, opened my laptop started to um, watch some of your videos. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to take a pause and go get some coffee. That never happened. I continued to watch your videos. And here I am uncaffeinated, but high off of your videos. So (laughs) that is my testament to your work. I think... um, I mean, that may be the best compliment I've ever gotten. In fact, no, I I can say pretty definitely that. You can put it on your website, like, better than coffee. Better than coffee. Farnish Trabi, host of So Money. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I actually, that happens to me sometimes when I'm researching and making these videos where I become truly obsessed with the topics. Like I become so deeply curious and fascinated that that is my stimulant for the day. Like I just, I kind of get on this high going down these rabbit holes, learning about these new things. Cause I report on stuff that I don't know a lot about. And so it really is the novelty of it, the newness of it, can like wake up your brain in a way that, uh, yeah, it can be a replacement for coffee. Not all the time, not all but the time, from but time to time. <laughs> Funny enough, I was watching your video on the five things you do when you come to a new city. And the first thing was get a haircut. Second was get coffee or maybe it was get coffee, then get the haircut or maybe the haircut wasn't part of it. I don't know. Hair, Everyone yeah, just check haircut. out Johnny on YouTube. He's amazing. Um, but also your Vox series borders. I want to dive into that a little bit. And as I'm watching all of your work, I'm thinking, man, you know, Johnny has such a gift, but I feel like that's not credit enough because you do work so hard. You know, I think that there is a lot of talent and there's a, a lot of genius to what you're doing and how you storytell, but you are a hard worker. And before we get to current times and, and your, your borders Vox series, I'd love to, to have you take us back to maybe the last day of college, um, where the journey kind of began for you becoming a dad, but also embarking on a career at the same time. Take us back to graduating. Oh, geez. I mean, now that it's been a few years, I, I look back and think, what what were we thinking? Uh, we were so young and, and my wife and I graduated at the same time. We decided to have a baby as well, uh, at that exact same time. So we, Isabel had the child and a week later we like took our final exams and, uh, graduated. And there's like this, these photos of us like starry eyed with our child, like in our graduation robes, um, impetuous is like the best way to put it. We, we were just kind of reckless kids who like were, didn't really know what we're getting ourselves into, but it kind of goes into a broader philosophy that that kickstarted this whole thing for me, which was taking risks and then making those risks fuel your desire to to fulfill. And and so we graduated, we moved to DC. I didn't have a job lined up, and I just knew that I had to figure something out because there was no other option. I had a child and a wife who was recovering from birth. And we had to figure something out. And so I started beating the streets and, and looking for a job. And again, there's that, there was that sense of urgency because I'd gotten myself into a position where not doing anything or not having success wasn't really an option. I had to, to figure something out. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's really what kickstarted a a broad 
avalanche of different events that led me to where I am today. But it really did start with kind of rushing into that decision to have a kid. Can you share a little story about you know, a, a money story from that those early beginnings, those times when you were looking for work, you had a baby, I think at $1,300 in your bank account, you said, um, what, what's a, what's one story that you look back on that maybe is funny now, but at the time it was not funny at all. Yeah. So, oh man, the, the big one was, jeez. Oh so that $1,300 in our bank account came from a grant, a research grant that I'd gotten from the university. Um, we, I, I made a proposal to do some field work in Peru, kind of put that in and I got $1,500 or maybe it was like $1,700 or whatever. And for some reason I decided that with that money, which was literally all we had. I mean, we had some student debt too. So like actually we were in the red. I decided that it was a good idea to buy an iPad. I was like, oh, but like, so like we can use a third of this money to like move to DC and start a new life. And then I, or like two thirds of it. And then the other third I'm going to use to buy an iPad. And I remember doing that kind of impetuously. And then, and then realizing like, as I looked at the bank account and like that $450 or whatever the iPad cost came out, I was like, were doomed. Like, what was I thinking? And I couldn't return it. And it was like this, it was like this awkward tension between me and my wife that I had this iPad mm. and like, that was the thing. And, and I look back at that now and I think it's just really funny that like that, that the iPad was like the big, uh, you know, like a big symbol of our recklessness. But at the time, um, you know, it, it, it just seemed so dire that we had spent a, you know, a third of our money on this like stupid piece of technology. It just kind of goes to show how the position we were at and, mm. um, and, and, and how big of a deal that was. And I understand you took a job as a, at a restaurant to make ends meet. You, 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 you just like roll up your sleeves. Like you do what you have to do. Totally. And it, again, it goes back to this notion of having to figure something out. And so no one was hiring for, for international relations graduates. Um, if anything, they were giving internships to people who were like in grad school. And so I was like, there's no way I'm going to get a job in the city. That's going to pay me enough to like support my family. And so, yeah, I, I emailed five different chefs in Washington, DC, just found their personal email or the marketing email of their restaurant and said, Hey, I've, I study culinary on the side. Can I come in and like be a line cook or like, be a prep cook in your restaurant and one place here in DC, uh, responded and I came in, did a little knife audition and got hired. And that's, that's how I paid the bills for, for a couple of months before I finally did find a job in video, which is kind of my pivot, what I pivoted to, to, to pay the bills, which then ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me that I kind of started to lean into video. Yeah. So you mentioned your background, international um, relations and conflict resolution. You have an MA um, from American University. You wanted to kind of channel that into video. And um, I, I remember watching one of your videos where you kind of uh, were introduced to Vox. They had just launched, which is where you work now. You applied, didn't get the job. And so where you're working today is it's the second coming of that. <laughs> was the first yeah. time you got rejected, the second time you got the job. Tell us about this, the first time versus the second time. I think the difference in in why you didn't get the job the first time and why you did the second was because you showed what you could do as opposed to just tell the person mm -hmm. that you're passionate about working there, which is a big distinction. 
big distinction. And that was a big lesson for me as a storyteller, the show don't tell. The first time I applied to Vox was me basically saying, I really love this. I really want to work there. And it was, it was a very passionate, you know, application that I submitted, but I didn't have the skills. Um, what I what, and then what that made me realize is if I'm not, if I'm not up to snuff for these people, there's no way they're going to hire me. And so I started to dedicate myself to training and learning. And I just upped my skills in every aspect that I could. And that, so the second time I applied, I didn't just apply with a, a standard resume and an application. I actually created a, a video, a video resume specifically for Vox. That was like my pitch on why you should hire me. And it was way better than six months previous. Uh, my application was before it was way, it was way more indicative of what I could do for them. It was way more convincing. And that's what eventually got the job for me. And it made me realize if I'm, if I'm going to tell stories, if I'm going to convince people of anything, it's going to have to be through a strong showing and not just me using words. It's going to have to be this visual proof of what I'm trying to say. And that has stuck with me in my journalism. It stuck with me in when I'm pitching people, when I'm negotiating anything, I, I use that lesson because it's, to me, it's so vital. It's such a good lesson, I think, for anyone listening, no matter what your career path is, and if, if, especially for those of us who want to transition into something that they feel is so new for, and why would anyone hire me to do something that I have no experience in? And don't wait for the experience to show up at your doorstep. Go get that experience, right? Like tinker with it. If you want to become an expert in something, um, find the people who are already experts and mentor and have them be your mentors, shadow them. Um, I, even going back to your anecdote about emailing all the chefs in DC, if that is actually, if that was the path that you wanted to pursue, if you wanted to actually lean into culinary, that would have been a great way to go about it. Um, maybe it means not make, getting as much money at, at, in the beginning or no, any money, but at least you're getting that yeah. experience. And one of the lessons that I learned from one of your videos about how you got the job at Vox was that, you know, your first job is not going to be your dream job. Your second job might not even be your dream job. Your, your main priority should be with any job that's meant to kind of groom you is to be in a, an environment where you're going to be constantly perfecting your tool, your skills. And so that mm -hmm. there is a volume of work for you to do and to fail almost, I'd rather fail at like not my dream job. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Those stepping stones are so vital They They are, I just, I, my kind of phrase for this is like an excuse to put your hands on the tools, an excuse where someone's paying you to put your hands on the tools and developing that muscle memory, developing those best practices through a lot of either mediocre work or work that you're not excited about. I feel like you kind of have to get all that out of your system in order to get to the place where you're making work that you love at a place that you love. But it's like, no one skips that. No one's leapfrogging the giant volume of, of kind of mediocre work in, in a place that they don't love. I mean, maybe some are, maybe like 1% of the population can do that. But as far as I'm concerned, everyone needs to, to go through that path of, of doing the stuff that's not nearly as sexy as like your end goal with the intention of, of eventually getting there. And, and that process isn't fun and it's what weeds a lot of people out. But if you can endure that and push through it with the intention of getting to that dream goal, it, it really is the path that at least I've formulated. 
So I'm trying to also follow along as we're talking about your career journey, your financial journey. So we started with a picture of you and your wife at the $1,300. You blew a little bit of that on the iPad. You le- lesson learned. Um, you're now at a place where you're employed. And now maybe fast forward to when Vox hires you the second time and you're making more money. How has How is your financial life adjusting? So for me, what it's turned into is becoming sensitive to what value I add to the economy, which right now, luckily, and this is a timing thing for me, the world is interested in digital video. Digital video was kind of hitting a swell point when I moved out to DC and I didn't really pick up on that until later. And I started to realize that, um, this isn't just a fun thing. Thing that I like to do. It's a very valuable thing. And I think that that's something that people should have in their mind, not just, is this valuable to me? Is this valuable to my workplace? But is this valuable to a broader market? Um, and the only way to do that is to, to look around and to start seeing what other places are valuing video makers at. And we're at a time where we're being a digital video maker or journalist with video skills is very valuable. And so from the beginning, I, I I didn't really know that at first, but as I got into the market and started to realize how much demand there was for this among news outlets, I did start to realize, man, I, I could probably leverage this a little bit more. I do various skills in terms of animation and video. And I started to kind of wake up to that. And that helped me, um, I think, match my value at Vox and really get to a place where I felt like I was being valued. And, um, and it continues to be a, a journey for me, like figuring out what the value of this is. And it could change, you know, like next year, the economy could turn and suddenly digital video is going to lose its value. But right now, I'm, I'm seeking out what that value is and, and, and trying to push uh, whatever work I do to, to be valued um, at the best it can. And, and that takes a little bit of sensitivity and research and, and conversations with you know, other people in the industry. What has been the best career-related purchase you've made? You are really into the gear. And even on this mm-hmm. interview, you um, you showed up like no other guest with like all the bells <laughs> and whistles, the audio, the, the, the like the pop filter, the whole thing. Um, you kind of poo-pooed my Skype tack, you know, my connection. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm all about the, you know, I'm all about the bootstrapping on this end. But um, you're very much into the gear. And so it's, it's hard. I think for those of us who want to pursue your path and get into videography and docu-series and all of that, there is a cost element to it. Um, what's been a great investment for you? And then what advice do you have for others who want to equip themselves properly, but not, not go in the, in the, in the, in the red? Totally. The beautiful thing is the answer to this question in, in today in 2019 is, a very hopeful question, a very accessible, a very accessible answer, a very hopeful answer, which is that you don't actually have to buy a lot of stuff to start to hone these skills, which honestly, like timing wise, I'm so grateful that I'm doing this now as opposed to 20 years ago. If you want to learn video skills, you need a computer with the internet and you effectively need a cell phone. And, and I know people say that and it's like maybe reductionist, but I actually am starting to believe that there are films being made on the Galaxy S9, you know, Samsung phone. Um, 
there's no longer barriers to entry for anyone to get good at this stuff. I never went to film school. I never had a gatekeeper tell me that I was good at this stuff. What I had was an internet connection. And, and to answer your question, I would say the best investment, the best purchase ever made was a, a subscription to lynda.com, which is a tutorial training site where I learned everything. That was my film school. I think for a student, it was like 20 bucks a month. And for 20 bucks a month, I could devour really high quality tutorials on every single thing I could have imagined and the, and the everything from motion graphics and animation to filmmaking, to audio engineering, to graphic design, to color theory, you can just devour that unlimited for 20 bucks a month. I don't know the exact pricing, but it's something very accessible. Um, that there was one summer near the end of college when I probably spent 20 hours a week watching tutorials and doing exercises that the tutorials gave me. That's where I cut my teeth. That's where I learned so much of the stuff that I use today. And for such a low price point, I mean, imagine 20 bucks a month, like that's nothing. Um, so I definitely say as much as I'm a gear person, I go back to the fact that this education, um, was so empowering and it taught me how to use this gear and it taught me how to to hone a sensibility for filmmaking that is now the most valuable thing I have. So yeah, that's, that's my, that's my most valuable purchase in terms of like accessibility and someone who wants to get into this. You don't even need a lynda.com tutorial. You just need to go to YouTube. There's a giant community of people who are teaching you how to be filmmakers, how teaching you how to be graphic designers. Um, what you need is just the dedication and the time. And and yeah, there's little cameras here and there. You can get point and shoots and, and little gimbals for your phone that are make your filmmaking more amazing. But honestly, that stuff is, is ancillary. It's like, it's great and supportive, but the heart of it is the education and the learning. And you can do that with a cell phone. With a cell phone. I mean, that's kind of the, that's, that's, you're not so true. <laughs> the accessibility of all this is um, one of the greatest advantages of being alive now um, with the internet, like you mentioned, YouTube, our, our, the advent, the advances on our phones alone. Let's talk about borders. This is a massive, massive undertaking, a project is six documentary series. And, um, just to give listeners some background on this, you, this was really sourced from audience as well. 6,000 story mm -hmm. suggestions, um, 13 dispatches, three cameras, 11 countries, six documentaries. The show, the series is called Borders. You're the creator, the host, the everything. And then you've got this massive team of support. Um, maybe the where we can begin with this is you telling us the why for this show? Why, why, mm -hmm. why this show? You could probably have done anything, but this, mm -hmm. I think, because it marries some of your international relations interest, but there was probably more to it, right? Yeah. So Borders is just, it's so natural. Like now that I think of it, it's like, this is the thing I could have done a million things, but like, it feels like the exact right fit for me. It, it brings together so many of my interests. I lived in Mexico for two years. I was a Mormon missionary in Tijuana. Um, I grew up Mormon and at 19, you go on these, these two year missions and I was sent to Tijuana, which is a very, very intense border zone. And I lived a couple blocks from the border wall between Tijuana and San Diego. And the visual of that sunk itself into my psyche forever. Um, just the stark contrast between the two countries and where they meet. 
And it kind of stuck with me as I went in, studied international relations, went on to get a master's in conflict resolution and, and peace studies, always fascinated by this notion of human drawn borders, lines on this, on the earth that we've created and always unsatisfied with the macro level analysis. Let's look at a map and decide who has, you know, balance of power and all these geopolitical terms that kind of dehumanize um, the, the reality and make it more like a chess game. I was always fascinated. Well, well, there's people on these lines. Like, what about the people living there on, on these lines? And that's that curiosity came together in in late 2016 when Vox was asking me to pitch a series, and all that came together. And I said, borders. Like, borders is just the perfect framing and a perfect topic. It's vague and broad enough for me to be able to go anywhere, but it's specific enough that you know it when you see it. And that balance felt really right for me. Um, and so, yeah, I set out and, and crowdsourced ideas, got a million amazing ideas. It, it was a curse of abundance, too many good ideas and, and went out and told a lot of, you know, compelling stories of people who live on these lines and have since, since that first season gone to Hong Kong and then Colombia to kind of focus in and do multiple episodes just on, on one place so that the season two and three have been more of a focus. And, and now I'm gearing up to do uh, a couple more seasons this year, looking at, at places like India, Pakistan or Cyprus or Indonesia, places that have really fascinating borders. There's, there's just no end to, to good ideas within the borders framing. Is this, you think, uh, uh, the beginning of another Borders, maybe part two, or is has this now uh, inspired a different route for the next series? The format is slightly changed than that first uh, season. What I felt when I was going to these places is, man, I'm in Nepal, China, and there's no way I can tell these stories with one video. And so I, I went to six places in that first round and felt like, oh, I had to cut so much out. And so now what I'm trying to do is the borders idea of going to borderlands, but spending five or six videos just on that place. To me, that gives me more leeway to dive in and go deeper and explore different angles that aren't just conflict or migration. And they've allowed me to expand what borders is in scope and, and allowed me to go deeper as well. So this year, it's still borders. It's still the, the same idea of humanizing the lines on the map, but it's going to be spending more time in these places and and going deeper and, and showing multiple dimensions to to these stories. How did you ultimately narrow down the borders? Um, we have borders ourselves here in North America. And I'm just curious, what were the ultimate criteria? Yeah. Uh, the main criteria is the gut criteria for me, which is a big part of my creative process, which is like, I feel the story. I get it. I can see it. I can see the mapping. I can see the animation already. I can see the interviews and, and feel the story. I know that's like a total vague answer, but like, that's really it. So we went through the 6,000 submissions and there were a lot that were, you know, you would imagine Israel, Palestine, Northern Ireland, um, but there were some obscure ones that kind of piqued different interests and ideas. And between just going through all of that, some, sometimes things just stand out and you're like, wow, that is fascinating. I want to know more. I kind of let that gut curiosity guide and drive the process for development. Um, and then, and then I have a producer who helps me develop these stories and find access and do the research and all that stuff to actually make it happen. Um, and that, 
that obviously determines whether or not it's feasible. So between all of those things, mainly driven by kind of a gut creative process, uh, we, we settle on it, but it's always painful to say like, Oh man, I really wanted to do, you know, China, Russia, but like, that's just not going to fit, uh, this season, you know, we'll have to do it in the future. Well, congratulations. It's such a feat, um, to have now, I mean, now that you're on the other side of it and you're, you know, hopefully taking a bit of a break. I know you have two kids, you have a family. Um, what, what are you filling up your time with now? What's, what's next? As you say, you always have to have the long vision, be it for the long game. So where, yeah, what's life like right now? Right now I am exploring what non-journalism video making looks like for me. Um, journalism was something that I kind of crash landed into and love, and it's been amazing, but I feel like I have an impulse inside of me to make videos that are maybe a little more creative or a little bit less rigorous on the journalism side. And so what I'm doing for the first couple months of 2019, before I jump into another series of borders, which I'll probably be doing in the spring is I am, uh, I'm playing with my YouTube channel. I have three videos up right now and I'm, and I'm going to start uploading weekly, um, my thoughts on a lot of stuff. Like I'm, I'm editing one right now called, should you go to college? And it's my kind of riff on, on that. And it's not a rigorous take. It's, it's me kind of, it's commentary. It's me kind of talking and reflecting. Um, so I'm going to be exploring on my YouTube channel and, and trying new formats, new ideas. And then come the spring, I'm going to ramp up the the journalism engine again and, and get back into pitching borders and and doing another um, series of, of five or six videos starting the youtube channel is so smart i mean really and tell me if this is this was also your train of thought but from my perspective it's like you have such success with at vox um you've created a following how can you now leverage this to create your own personal brand which can then be layoff proof recession proof all of the things i know that when i was mm-hmm. at the com years ago as a senior correspondent that was where i got a lot of my success or, you know, in my career as a journalist, I got a lot of opportunities there that led to a lot of followers. Um, I, I wrote a book while I was there, which again, got me like more, just more presence in the media. And then I got laid off. Um, but mm-hmm. thankfully I had this book that I had written that was mine and that was sort of my parachute. And I always uh, mm-hmm. encourage people to find their parachute and to do it, almost build that parachute simultaneous to while they're like working a nine to five somewhere else, because you never know when your own personal brand's going to take over out of necessity totally. or just, or just desire. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, there's definitely a, a practicality and a strategic piece to it as well. Um, in that sense, like it's having that personal brand is, I think, almost an insurance for the future. Um, and, and that's part of the calculus for sure. But I think the driving force really was, um, this almost creative itch to say like, well, what, what else can I do with these video skills that I haven't really played with? in a, in a kind of non-journalism environment. But as I've done that, I'm also realizing, oh, this is probably a good business move as well to kind of be developing this on the side. If nothing else, just to learn, uh, to kind of have my, my ear to the ground on the market and to understand what, what's in demand and what, how it works out there in the real world world in case I really do need to lean into that for whatever reason. You know, I'm in digital media and news, which is a very volatile and unknown market right now. And things could totally be different in 18 months. And so you're right that there there's a need for a little bit of fallback that I think a personal brand 
definitely offers a little bit of cushion in that, um, which is, I think, an added bonus, though not the, the driving force of the move for sure. For sure. Yeah, definitely helps though. Um, yeah. Our show is sponsored by Chase and we want to know what our guests' financial resolutions are for the new year. I know um, some people don't even like the word resolution, but we can call it a theme. <laughs> we can call it a goal. But what's on your financial to-do list in the first uh, couple months of the year? So I, because I'm in this transition of kind of doing a lot of more of my own stuff and my, my wife incidentally is also in the, in the same sort of transition. She's building a show for Eater and then, um, and then doing a lot of her own work. Um, we are both in the mindset of investment, investing, not in stocks and bonds, but in, um, in, our creativity. We are at a place where we have more time on our hands and we want to invest in things that make us creative and that make us content creators in the best way, because we believe that that's going to add a lot of value in the future. Um, and we've kind of done that and dabbled in that a little bit. Uh, but this year we're going to lean into it very heavily. In fact, I'm sitting right now in, in a studio that we're remodeling that we've spent the past six weeks gutting and remodeling to be a full-fledged studio. And that's our first, uh, you know, I allocated a bunch of money from an index fund into the walls of the studio. And that was a big symbolic push of saying, I'm going to invest in our creativity. So we have a space to build beautiful, interesting, awesome things, because we believe that's going to be the lifeblood of our, of our businesses and our income in the future. And we need to up our game in that. And so this year I'm investing. That's my mantra. That's my, that's my theme. That's my resolution. I love that. It reminds me of a book that James Altucher wrote. I think it's called Invest in Yourself. Yeah. Um, mm, yeah. Bestseller. And basically you're you know, living proof of what he prescribes, which is that your best investment in life is the one that you make in yourself, in your own career growth, in your mental health, in your, um, yeah. you know, things that aren't, you know, traditional like assets that we think of yeah. in the market. But that's great. That's yeah. so, so you and your wife, like you trade notes, like that's kind of great to come home and you can talk shop with your partner. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sweet. It gets to the point where we're almost, we can't turn it off. <laughs> and now we, whenever we watch like a show or like whatever, we're like sitting there nerding out about like camera moves and stuff. It's amazing. It's like amazing, but it's almost like it, we can't escape it. And because she, her brand is family filmmaking. So it's like we go on family trips and she's vlogging and creating. She just released this show today on Eater. Actually, it's family food and travel in Portugal. And so our kids are involved too. It's like literally like the family enterprise is like cameras and travel and YouTube like that, that's becoming like the the whole thing. And so it's fun. It's super fun. And I'm, I'm super excited about what this next year has to hold for both of our both of our differing paths in this same realm. Well, again, congratulations. This is such a masterpiece. Uh, Borders airing on Vox and you have your YouTube channel. We're looking forward to more. Um, as you said, you're going to be maybe embarking on the next um, season in the spring. We will be tuning in. Johnny Harris, thank you so much. So glad to be here. Thanks so much to Johnny Harris. You can check out his Vox series, Borders, at Vox.com. You can also find him on YouTube at Johnny Harris. If you missed any of this, don't worry. You can head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com where you can listen to the show, share it, join our newsletter, leave me a question for our Friday episode. Just click on Ask Farnoosh and just get in touch in general. Would love to hear from you. I'm also on Instagram, remember, at Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.